Turn in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to, if you would, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 within your Bibles this morning. Thank you so much for being a part of that missionary offering to the Dominican Republic. If you didn't have a chance to uh, write that check, uh, you can do so after the service. There's opportunity. Help us to meet the goal there. Amen. And uh, also, if you haven't had a chance to fill out a Mountain Movers 40 Days of Prayer card, fill it out, turn it into the hospitality desk after the service. Our goal is to get as many lakeside people involved in our 40 days of prayer as we possibly can. More people praying, more prayer, more power. Less prayer, less power. Let's be a church of prayer. I know that there's an awful lot going on. If you're a guest here this morning, we have a lot of it on our agenda. It's because of this special season that we're in, and we're so glad that you're all with us, and we pray and hope that you'll stay with us uh, for the rest of the service this morning. Acts chapter 1 within your Bibles uh, this morning. We'll turn there in a moment. I pray you've got a sermon study guide. You can follow along. I, I give you my notes. You have all my main points, and all you have to do is just fill in the blanks. Hallelujah. Excellent. Last week's Sunday afternoon, our youngest child, we said a sad farewell to at 2 o'clock in the afternoon as she made it down to Detroit Metropolitan Airport and flew back down to Florida for her junior year of college. And then my wife and I threw a party. Hallelujah. We're empty nesters once again for the next nine months. And it's awesome. Hallelujah. Oh, stop. Stop doing this to me. I mean, God designed those children to leave the nest. Hallelujah. Amen. You're a pretty poor parent if you've got a 40-year-old living in your house sucking their thumb. My, my, my. Oh, and the number one question that we heard all summer, the number one question that we heard all summer was this. Why? 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 And the number one answer from dad, because I told you so. But I'm almost 21. Why? Last year it was, I'm, I'm almost 20. Why? Because <laughs> I told you so. Sad to say, tragically, we pastors, we hear that same question time and time again in the church. Why? Why do I have to help the hurting? Why do I have to help the needy? Why do I have to get involved in being a blessing to the poor? Why do I have to be a witness? Preacher, that's what you're there for. That's what we pay you for. Why? Jesus, though, tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does Jesus say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the first place in the Bible that we see the word witness. The Greek word is martes. We get the word martyr 
from it. It's totally giving of your life without any reservation to be used to the Lord, to be a blessing to someone else, especially to reach them with the good news that Jesus saves. This morning, I want to share a message simply entitled, Witnesses. Witnesses. Would you fill in the first blank with me this morning? Let's explore why we're called to be witnesses. Point one this morning, we're called to be witnesses because Jesus lived and commanded witnessing. Now, Jesus never won souls like a Billy Graham. Do you realize that Jesus never had a mass crusade, a successful one where hundreds and hundreds of souls were were born again and converted? You'll never find that in the Bible. Where Jesus was successful was one-on-one sharing. One-on-one making a difference in people's lives. One-on-one. In fact... Jesus never gave us a choice in this business of being witnesses. Did you realize that? Because Jesus himself had one driving, all-consuming purpose and passion. What was Jesus' passion? It's found in Luke chapter 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus... Jesus called rough and tough fishermen to be his followers. And do you remember when, what Jesus said to those tough old fishermen? Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How can, how can someone tell if you're a fisher of men? How can someone tell if you are a soul winner, if you're a a true witness, a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it because you have one of those fish symbols on the back of your Buick? I got cut off by a guy in traffic the other day, and all of a sudden I look, and the back of his Buick, I mean, he had the fish symbol, he had Jesus stickers all over that. I'm sorry I didn't pray blessing upon him. I have to confess that. (laughs) How can people tell that you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, because uh, you carry a 90-pound Bible that you drop on your desk at work every day, because you have a jewel-encrusted gold cross hanging around your neck so heavy that you're bowed down as you walk? How can people tell if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, they will know that you are my follower because you are a fisher of men. You are a true witness. They will know that you are my disciple by your love, one for another. Those are the words of Christ. Listen. Christ didn't give us a choice about this business of being a witness for him. He gave us a command. Do you realize that back in the Civil War, you could hire a substitute to go to battle for you if you didn't want to fight? I'm sorry, in this fight, there are no substitutes. The moment you were born again, you were enlisted, you were drafted into the Lord's army. And you're called by him to bear his witness 
to let the sinner know there's a Savior and His name is Jesus. There it is. Yeah, some think that they can hire a substitute. That's the pastor's job. That's Pastor Hal's job. That's the job of the missionary. That's the job of the evangelist. But that's not my job. No, Christian, it's your responsibility. I want to remind you, Christ hasn't called us to be keepers of the aquarium. Christ has called us to be fishers of men. Amen? Fill in a blank with me if you would. We're called to be witnesses because it's the only way. It's the only way to be a contented Christian. Why is it that in the church today, there are so many unhappy people in the church today? Unhappy, disconnected, and discontented Christians. I'll give you one big reason. We have been affected by the culture instead of us influencing the culture. How many of us, how many of us have thought unconsciously that if I could only, if I could only live in that house, if I could only drive that car, if I could only have that toy, if I could only have that position, that prestige, that popularity, that prosperity, that pleasure, then I'd be happy. If I could only. And we grasp at the same success orientation that the world does, and we keep coming up unhappy. If you don't believe me, just ask Robin Williams, Michael Jackson, Amy Winehouse, Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. People who have had it all only to come up empty. And so desperately empty, my heart breaks for them. Success never made anybody happy in a lasting way. The reason that there's so many unhappy Christians today in the church, we have confused success and significance. If you want to be happy, Christian, choose significance over success any place, any time, and anywhere. Significance is making a difference in people's lives. Significance is leaving the planet better than when you arrived. Significance is encouraging. It's cheering up. It's pouring your life into someone else. And for the Christian, for the believer, for the one who walks and talks by faith, significance is sharing <laughs> Jesus, the only one, who can change a life for all eternity, the only one who paid the price for sin, the only Savior of your soul and my soul, real significance is sharing Jesus with the lost, the blind, the downhearted, with the unbeliever. Significance. Making a difference in someone's life for the here and now and for all eternity. Will you choose significance over success? You see, significance seekers are those that look at their job, their school, the neighborhood, the community, as open doors, opportunities to make a difference in people's lives. 
What's the only thing they can ever bring into eternity? Ever think about that? A very wealthy, wealthy zillionaire who is married to his seventh wife. Oh, a young filly. He sat her down at his deathbed and he said, young lady, I have one last dying request. I don't believe you can't take it with you into eternity. And just to prove that, when I die, I want you to take this steel box, this cash box, and I want you to put it in my casket just before they close the lid. In this steel box, I've put a million dollars cash. Will you do it? She looked him in the eye and she said, Yes, I'll do it. So the day of the funeral, here she comes walking down meekly, humbly, and everyone witnessed her putting that little cash box with a million dollars in the casket. After the funeral, one of her best girlfriends said, Girl, are you crazy? You mean to tell me you put a million dollars in a casket of your dead husband? Have you lost your head, girl? I followed his last dying request. Yes, I put a million dollars into that casket. What I did was I took out the cash, wrote him a check, and if he can cash it, it is his. There's only one thing, and there's only one thing that you can take into heaven with you. And there's only one thing that you can take into hell with you. Souls. 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 You are either influencing people actively for Jesus Christ, or you're influencing people for the enemy. By your life, by your walk, by your talk, you are being a witness, whether you know it or not. You are there witnessing to the one who shed his blood upon the cross for your sins and who rose from the dead shouting glory and sits at the right hand of the Father, the only one that has the power to change lives, not a passing fad, but the Christ of the Gospels. Or you are witnessing to the one that we call Old Slewfoot. The Bible says he's a thief who comes to steal kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. I don't know about you, but I long for that day when I'm going to hear from Jesus, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Thank you for being faithful and being a witness. Thirdly, we're called to be witnesses because our world, would you agree with me, is sick. And Jesus is our only healer. 
How can we stand by, I ask you, and let our generation suffer from a moral and a spiritual meltdown? How can we allow alcohol and drugs and, a, and an MTV morality poison our young people? How can we allow pornography to rape America mentally? How can we stand in, in total silence and allow the Ten Commandments to be ripped from our school hallways and walls while condoms are being introduced to even fifth graders? How can we allow secular humanism and atheism and homosexuality destroy America? How can we remain passively and stand by while universities that we support with our tax dollars can host a play, just like they did down in Texas, host and conduct a play, a drama that depicts Jesus as a homosexual along with his disciples, yet it is illegal to share the gospel on that same university campus. How can we stand by and remain silent? How can we stand by and look the other way? I want you to know, Christian, the answer is not found in boycotts. It's not found in a new wave of Christian activism. The answer is not found in the ballot box. It's found in the prayer closet. The answer isn't found in cursing the darkness. The answer is found by invading the darkness with the light of the good news that there is a Savior for the sinner, and His name is Jesus. Matthew 5.14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. How can they see the light if you're not shining? How can they see the light, Jesus said, if it's under a bushel basket? This means more than speaking the gospel. We've had enough preaching. The world has had enough teaching. They want to see not profession. They want to see practice. The airwaves, TV, radio, the internet is full of preaching. We want to see the gospel in practice, the world is saying. We want to see the difference that Jesus has made in your life and will make in our lives. You see, the gospel is more than words. It's power. It's action. This is the answer for taking our country back for Jesus Christ. One of our pastors recently, not long ago, was on a jet liner from JFK to LAX in this cross-country flight as lunch was being served, the very well-attired businesswoman sitting next to him, very articulate, very sharp in appearance, she rejected and refused her lunch. He said, don't you like the food that this airline uh, serves? She said, it's not that. She says, I'm, I'm in the middle of a long time of fasting and prayer. He said, oh, you're a born-again believer like me. I, I, I'm a pastor. She said, well, I'm not. I'm a Satanist, and I'm fasting and praying for the destruction of Christianity in America. Real believers, real Christians have the keen awareness that Christianity isn't a playground, but it's a battleground. And you and I have been enlisted in the Lord's army. We're fighting a battle with the armies of heaven against the forces of hell. What's at stake? Not riches, not lands, not political power. What's at stake? Eternal souls. Eternal souls. 
And the enemy of our souls is not, is not sleeping. But he is actively at work 24-7. I want to remind you, Christian, that when you are a witness, when you are a soul winner, when you actively share what Jesus has done in your life and in your family, you are launching an attack against the enemy's territory, and he's not happy about it. That's why we're calling our faith emphasis mountain movers. Count on it. There will be satanic resistance, but we serve a God who is greater. Hallelujah. You can stand upon the promise. You can stand upon the promise. The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible says greater is he that's within us than he that's within this world. The Bible says this battle is not ours. It is the Lord's. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Christian, lift up your head. Square your shoulders. Our God is upon the throne, and everything's going to be all right. He's never lost a battle. He knows no retreat. He knows no defeat. Hallelujah. He's going to wrap this whole thing up. Lift up your eyes and look around the world right now. Look at the news, at what's happening, whether it's our borders whether it's ISIS in the Middle East, Russia in the Ukraine, Ebola in Africa, things are beginning to happen so very, 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 very rapidly. The prophetic signs are being fulfilled all around us. We are a people, a generation of prophetic fulfillment like no other since Jesus Christ. It's not a time to hang our heads and be doom gloomers. It's not a time to hang our heads in despair, depression. But Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. I believe that our Lord is at the very threshold. I believe that the trumpets are about to blast, and the eastern skies will unzip, and just as the Bible says, He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever more. Hallelujah. 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 Do you realize, do you realize, do you realize that there are more unbelievers in the world today than have existed throughout all time because of the astronomical number of six and a half, seven billion inhabitants on planet Earth. There are more sinners alive right now, more unbelievers, more non-Christians than have existed throughout all the cumulative generations of mankind. But in the same token, there are more Christians alive now than ever before. In the same token, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if indeed these are the last days, if indeed we are second coming Christians, if indeed this is a last days church, then the Bible says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. What does it all add up to? We're about to participate in the greatest last day's harvest of all mankind and you will be a part of it. It's coming. The greatest revival of all human history. The question is, will you be a faithful witness? A faithful witness. That's the answer for taking our country back for Jesus Christ to be found faithful.
Anybody can resort to half-hearted, mediocre, mundane, miserable Christianity. Will you rise up and be what God has called you to be? A real witness, both in word and in action. Back to our pastor on the jetliner, next to the Satanist woman. He leaned towards her when he heard that response and said to her, as he looked her in the eye, I want you to know, dear young lady, you picked the wrong side. You've signed up to the wrong army. I want you to know that Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth, and He is the Lord that I serve, and that leaves none for Satan. I want you to know that there's no sense, young lady, following a loser. I'm with the winner. I'm praying for you. Hallelujah. Christian, you're on the winning side. Our Savior, who is our mighty warrior, has never lost a battle. Trust Him. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Write it down. We're called to be witnesses, to exercise a living faith, and experience the anointing of the Holy Spirit. James chapter 2, verse 15. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action. It's dead. What's the point James the Apostle, the brother of Jesus Christ, is making here? What's the point that he's making? The gospel, being a witness, sharing the gospel, is more than preaching. It's more than teaching. It's more than just your words. It should be also transacted in your actions. God has called us to feed the poor, to clothe the poor, to help the needy, to help the hurting. That's why we're having a back-to-school big give this Wednesday night. That's why when you see somebody that's down and out, you need to be a blessing to them so that God can keep being a blessing to you. If you're not doing that, if you're not addressing their physical needs and you're only addressing their spiritual needs, your faith is dead. Because faith without works is, there it is. Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 4.18. Notice what Jesus says. In Luke 4.18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Who is the Spirit of the Lord? He's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? To who? The poor. Now they can be poor in finances or they can be poor in spirit. Like, like a Robin Williams. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. I want you to see here the plan of Jesus. The plan of Jesus right from the start. The message, the message Write that word down. The message is to be the gospel. 
We are to share the gospel that there is a Savior for the sinner. That only one has died upon the cross. Only one has shed his blood. Only one has broken the bonds of hell, death, and the grave. The stone has been rolled away. Only one has sat down at the right hand of the Father. That one was not Buddha, not Confucius, not Allah or Muhammad. Only one died for our sins, and his name is Jesus. That's the message. What's the mission? What's our mission? If you're a guest here this morning, we have set apart seven Sundays to recall our purpose as a church, our mission. What's the mission? Our mission is more than sharing the good news about Jesus. Our mission is also to go to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to minister the natural, physical needs of a person as well as their spiritual needs. That's what Jesus did. He fed the multitudes. He healed the sick. We are to be the arms and the legs of Jesus. But what I want you to focus in on is not just the message, not just the mission, but also the method. In Luke 4.18, we have the method. We are, we are a weak people. We are, we are a... We're, 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 we're framed in flesh and blood. How can we do that which smacks of the spiritual? How can we be involved in the eternal, in the midst of spiritual warfare? What hope do we have? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What is the method? The power and the baptism and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Now let me give you the whole verse. I gave you only half of the verse in the beginning of the message. But you will receive power. The Greek word is dunamis. Dynamite. We get our word dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Why has God given you power through the Holy Spirit, Christian? Why? Is it so you can speak in tongues? That's a powerful element, but not the main purpose. Is it because so you can have warm, fuzzy feelings? Holy doodads going up and down your backbone? That might be a nice spin-off, but that's not the purpose. Let me take you back 150 years. When they would pour shovelfuls of coal or, or wood into the boiler of a locomotive train, why would they stoke the fire of a locomotive train? Why? Why would they heat that boiler up? To blow the whistle? So that that train would be a whistleblower? <laughs> For power to move that locomotive, to move the train against no matter what. God has given you the Holy Spirit, not just so you have emotional, warm, fuzzy feelings. God has given you... God the Holy Spirit, He's baptized you in the Holy Spirit so that you can be a mighty witness for Him. So that you can say that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me <laughs> to preach the gospel to the poor. There it is. More than whistleblowers, we're called to be witnesses. Write it down, we're called to be witnesses because time is short and eternity is forever. 
Jesus said in John chapter 9, we must do the work of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming when no one can work. Let me ask you a question. Do you know how much time your friend, your co-worker, your classmate, your Facebook friend, your relative, your loved one, do you know how much time they have on planet Earth? Do you know how much time you have? There's not a single person here that can control the beating of their heart or the breathing of their lungs. We don't know. I, I don't say this to be Mr. Negative. We don't know when our last breath will be or our last heartbeat. Only God knows. He holds your life in his hands. Time is short. This is the time, Christian, to pull out the stops and live for Jesus like there's no tomorrow. This is the time. We're in, we're in God's two-minute warning. This is the time to be a witness, to be a witness, to be a witness for Jesus as never before. Night is coming. Night is coming. Night is coming. The day is spent. Pull out your, spot, your stops for Jesus. Let's be witnesses. Time is short, but eternity is forever. How long does a soul live? There was a time that you did not exist. When the pyramids were built, you did not exist. But there never will be a time that you will not exist. The moment you were birthed and born, created by God, your soul will last forever. Long after our sun, billions of years from now, is snuffed out like a candle, you will exist. The question is this, where will you exist? Where will your eternal soul be? Will it be in heaven? Or will it be in hell? Time is short. Eternity is forever. Christian, our awareness, our knowledge of eternity holds us responsible to be witnesses. We're called, write it down, to be witnesses because the greatest act of love you could ever show someone is to be a witness. To be a witness. Can you imagine on Judgment Day... Can you imagine on Judgment Day a Facebook friend, a classmate, a soccer partner? Can you imagine on Judgment Day a co-worker, a relative, a friend, a family member? Can you imagine on Judgment Day, Christian, them turning around and pointing a finger? Why didn't you tell me about this place? Why didn't you tell me that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun? Why didn't you tell me about eternity? Why didn't you give me an opportunity to know Jesus? Conversely, can you imagine on that day of days in heavens, the Bible says the crowns are going to be handed out to the faithful. Rewards. I don't know about you. I don't necessarily need a crown. I don't need a reward. My greatest reward outside of a commendation from Jesus, my greatest reward will be the people, the souls that will come walking up to me and say, Phil, Phil, you don't know me. But because of you, because of your faithfulness, because of your giving, 
because of your act of love, because of your witness, because of you, I am a life that has been saved. (laughs) You see all these people? They're my family. (laughs) And because you shared with me, I shared with them, and we're saved because of you. Because of you. Will you be faithful? Will you be a witness? It's the greatest act of love you could ever show someone. Lastly, we're called to be witnesses because of witnessing's impact. Impact in the here and now and the hereafter. In the hereafter. I want to do a survey real quick here this morning. How many, how many, how many of you are Christians because, don't lift your hands yet. Man, you're really responsive. How many of you are Christians because you heard about the gospel, you heard about Jesus on radio? How many were born again because of radio? One. Okay, two, three. Okay. How many of you are Christians because you received the gospel, you committed your life to Christ because of something you saw on TV? Man, is radio trumping TV? Look at this. Not one. Not one. Don't let the TV evangelist see. Oh, I got one, Carrie. Okay, okay. one, two, two, two. Radio still trumps, though. Two. How many because of a website? Zip. How many are a Christian today because of the faithful witness of a parent, a friend, a loved one, uh, the faithful witness of somebody? How many? How many? How many? How many? Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look all around you. Look all around you. You may put those hands down. The power of one witness. The power of one witness. It was decades ago. Decades ago as Cindy comes. Decades ago that a Salvation Army worker was going door to door and doing something that we now as Christians consider to be obsolete. We consider it to be antiquated, old-fashioned, an old method. Decades ago, a Salvation Army worker was going door to door, knocking on doors, and sharing Jesus with people. He did not realize that the door that he was knocking on was connected to a Nazi terrorist. You can Google the name Hermann Neubauer and find out how he came in a Nazi U-boat and tried to blow up the Statue of Liberty. 9-11 wasn't the first that our country has faced a threat and an attack. That Salvation Army worker that was going door to door, knocking on doors, didn't realize the door that he was knocking on was a home that was filled with emotional, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Terrible incest, alcoholism. It was a hopeless situation. In fact, 
the young 17-year-old man, the 17-year-old young man that answered the door and opened the door, he was called the Red Devil. Not just because he had red hair, because he had such a, a vicious temper, terrible rage and anger. But that Salvation Army worker, under the power of the Holy Spirit, began telling Red Devil how much God loved him and how God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to pay the price for his sins. And that if you'd only accept Jesus, if you'd only submit to Jesus, that Jesus would change his life and save him and give him heaven and not hell as his home. That 17-year-old red devil, his nickname, surrendered his life to Jesus. And he became so changed, so unbelievably changed, that he began witnessing to his family members and his father, his mother. He led his brothers and his sisters to Jesus. Red Devil became a pastor. He pastored for 50 years. Red Devil established churches. He sent out missionaries around the world. Red Devil had four children. Three of his children entered the full-time ministry. Two pastors, one missionary. They established churches. They discipled believers. They sent out missionaries. They had children. Red Devil had grandchildren, and every one of those grandchildren serving the Lord, five of them in full-time ministry, establishing churches, discipling believers, sending out missionaries. Red Devil's grandchildren, they had children. They had children. And five of those children, five of those great-grandchildren are in fact, all of them are serving the Lord. Five of them are in the full-time ministry. Five are, are, are established in churches, discipling believers, sending out missionaries. And Red Devil, if he could be alive today, he could see his great-great-grandchildren. As I saw them yesterday, Three-year-old Jack and Logan sitting down with their hands folded, praying to Jesus. That's right, Red Devil was my grandfather. And I'm here preaching you today because somebody was a faithful witness. A faithful witness. That's the power. That's the power of one witness. One witness. Bow your heads with me today. I pray that everyone would bow their heads in reverence to this sacred moment, close your eyes. I want to speak to your heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Jesus, come right now. Come, come. Wrap your sweet arms of love around each soul that is here this day. Come, Holy Spirit, and knock upon each heart. Reveal your love. Reveal your forgiveness, your grace to each soul. In the name of Jesus, come, sweet Holy Spirit. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, 
I want to remind you very simply, heaven is real. Hell is real. And eternity is just a heartbeat away. How about it? Do you know that you know that you know that you're right with God? Do you know that you know that you have a home in heaven? Do you have absolute certainty in this? Do you know that your sins have been cleansed and washed away? Do you know that you are born again spiritually? And you're in right relationship with your heavenly Father. Why take a chance? Isn't it time you tried Jesus? You've tried everything else. Isn't it time you said yes to Jesus and open the door of your heart and invite Him in and to see what He can do to change you and rearrange you? Today, right now, you're either becoming something more fit for heaven or more fit for hell. Today, how will you choose? I pray that you'll say yes to Jesus. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. I'm going to pray a prayer that will make you right with God. I'm going to pray a prayer that will give you a home in heaven. If you would like to be included in this prayer, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one is looking around, if you would like to be included in this prayer, I'm just going to ask you simply to lift up your hand so that I can see it, but more importantly, so that heaven can see it. It's a demonstration of your faith if you want to be included in this prayer. This has nothing to do with church membership. It has nothing to do with joining this church. It has everything to do with joining Jesus. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. How many, how many here this morning would like to be included in this prayer of salvation that I will pray? Would you lift up your hand right now so that I can see it? Lift it up high. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. How many more? Lift it up high. Thank you. God bless you. How many more? How many more here this morning? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Please, in the reverence of this moment, how many more? Lift it up high. I don't want to leave anyone out. Pray that prayer with me right now. Keep those hands lifted up. In fact, I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud. But you that have lifted up your hands, I want you to own this prayer. Put your heart into what you're about to pray. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. I make no excuses, no defense. I confess I am a sinner. But Jesus, you are my Savior. Save me from my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the price for my sins by your precious blood. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection power, with new life. I want that life, Jesus. A changed life. A new life.
Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for giving me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen and amen.